We scheduled this at the same time as the Apple event. You should not have reminded me. <laughs> we can we can uh, live stream it. What are we live streaming? Pam will just hate us all for it. <laughs> Sorry, I'm confused what's happening. Today is the Apple event. Oh, eh, whatever. <laughs> I'm so excited for my iPhone 6S. It's like, oh my god, it's faster. Six Force touch. Is it really? I'm, I'm sure it will be faster. It's not gonna be slower. <laughs> well, It'll be the it'll amazing be uh, bug that it has. Every two years, well, every every year the the phone is faster than the previous phone. But they're always. This is the best iPhone ever. It's kind of silly. Like it better be. Yeah, and the, and the TikTok cycle is like the four came out, and then the 4S, and the S stands for speed because it was not a new phone like case or whatever. It was just faster with some other Processor. minor features. Um, I think. But is it significantly faster? Because some of them have been significantly more performant than others, right? Yeah, yeah. Typically, the S is the more uh, speed-oriented upgrade where they upgrade the processor. But I feel like I feel like overall, it's the S stands for speed. What do you do while you're here, Len? Did you do you have anything that you had to do while you came back, like a thing um, that you need to visit or? Do you already feel disconnected to Philadelphia? Does Philadelphia miss you yeah. as much as you miss it? I hope so. No, I had a lot of uh, a lot of places I want to visit. I'm gonna to try to keep coming back every two or three months or so. And it's a super easy trip for me because my superpower is that I can sleep on a plane. So I basically took a red eye, <laughs> slept the entire time. Uh, I actually fell asleep while taking off, uh, and then got to Philadelphia at six thirty in the morning and went straight to CrossFit, which was great because I really miss my old gym. What is your uh, plane sleeping position? Uh, just hunched over in a ball. <laughs> so do you like put like your backpack on the table? No, no, I don't even use the table. I'm just like just hunched over. Like so, you like, like it's not you, great like, for put my your back, head like, between but... your legs, and then <laughs> like you're. Uh... Try, actually, you're prepared. Yeah, or I'll try to get a window seat. I'll try to get a window seat and like put a, a coat or something next to my head as a pillow. I've only been successful with uh, like putting a backpack or like a big pile of clothes if it's winter on the table, and then I can kind of like lean against that. But I can never fall asleep like in the seat, like laying, like sitting back, reclining. Should just fly first. Is it just uncomfortable? It's just like, uh, it's just like I can't keep my head from falling over. Uh, what if you have one of those neck pillows? Those do seem cool. I'd have to try it. Pam, can you sleep on a plane? I can sleep most places. That's one of my many talents. Um, especially the the optimum sleeping on a plane for me is when I fall asleep like after takeoff and then wake up as we're landing. It's kind of the best. Um, also, one of my hashtag life hacks, um, which is probably this is probably a terrible idea, but I'll put in earplugs uh, to cover up the the noise of the airplane, and then I'll put. And like noisish canceling headphones on over my ears and listen to a podcast or something pretty loud and then I can't hear the airplane noise hmm. rather than not putting any it feels better for my ears rather than just turning up something really loud to just drown out the airplane noise it seems I don't know it's weird maybe it has to do with what frequencies it's blocking out because like different earplugs block out different frequencies so Can you hear the music through the earplugs yeah hmm. And the earphones are—they aren't noise canceling. Like they aren't—they're very expensive. They're like thirty dollars, but they—they're enough that when I play it loud, other people can't hear it. So that's generally my. You need uh, some over-the-air ones that are just super stuck to your head. 
No, I was gonna say like you, that's they, that's kind of what they are. Like they're like they aren't. That's what I mean. It's like they aren't noise canceling, but they are like they have a nice. They ha- like, it feels a little noise canceling. But noise canceling means a specific thing, so they are not that. They're passive noise canceling. Yeah, sure. I think that's the industry term when it's just a bunch of foam. I have like over the ear headphones that claim they're like passive noise canceling. I tried the active ones, like the Bose Quiet Comfort in uh, Apple stores have them and like Best Buy. They're pretty neat. Uh, you just put them on and you can't hear anything at all. And they don't even really necessarily need to like surround your ear. They could just be like on the ear headphones. Um, if I flew a lot, I would probably invest in those. I don't fly that. Len much. had some sweet. Len had a sweet pair of noise canceling headphones. The yeah, they were actually too good. I got in trouble. My old apartment was really noisy, so I got noise canceling headphones like this. These uh Parrot Zeke headphones, uh, and they were so good. Uh, they're Bluetooth too. Uh, but my problem was I wasn't able to hear my boyfriend, and he would be like right behind me, like yelling at me, and I would have no idea. <laughs> so I I had to return them because they worked too well. Just tell him to throw something at you. That's, he didn't. I actually did. I'm like, just tap me, and he did not like that suggestion one bit. I can imagine my wife would be mad if I, if I could just completely block the world out. Yeah. So I kickstarted this ridiculous travel jacket. Uh, I'll put a link in the show notes, but it's called the World Best Travel Jacket. Uh, oh, yeah. And it, yeah, if it works like one tenth as well as the video, like it, it's totally absurd. Uh, but it's like, it comes in. Well, let me go over what it has. Uh, built into the jacket is earphone holders, a drink pocket. So, you know, when you have your laptop on your little tray table and you're trying to balance your drink and you precariously have this little tiny cup of, of soda or coffee right next to your computer, you freak out. There's like actually a pocket that kind of expands to a cup cozy, which is absurd. Huh. Uh, there's a, a glasses pocket a little microfiber cloth that comes out that lets you uh, clean your glasses or screen, uh, a pen and a stylus that comes out of the uh, like zipper dongle, uh, a pocket for your iPad, hand-warming pockets. Uh, inside of the jacket is an expandable neck pillow and eye mask, uh, a passport pocket, a phone pocket, uh, a portable charger pocket, uh, a little blanket that comes out, <laughs> and out of the sleeves pop out some gloves. This is a Swiss uh, Army and- hoodie. <laughs> Yeah, it's so ridiculous. Uh, but it comes in all kind of styles. So you can actually uh, get like a blazer or you can get a hoodie uh, and a few other styles. Which one did you it's get? It's probably going to be a piece of crap. But oh, I got the hoodie, of course. You can go for but the blazer. I'm, I'm anxiously one? awaiting. Yeah. <laughs> but the blazer looks ridiculous. Like there's like gloves that come out of the sleeves. And I don't know how, uh, how fancy it would actually look in your uh, travel blazer. I backed a hoodie on kickstarter a while ago the 10-year hoodie and it, I, I got it It was really well made really comfortable but then i think like i have this problem like i back things on kickstarter and i get them and i really like them uh like clothes and then they don't make that same exact model anymore afterwards i guess it's like like it, because they improved it you mean like well, they, they just, like, like the first they, version is like a first version yeah but it's more so that they, they turn it into a clothing company and then they like you know refresh stock every year or something where my wardrobe is very simple. I just want like to find one thing I like and then buy it in uh, like twenty colors. I like that. So what's new, Justin? Anything cool going on at work? Uh no, just you know, active recording. That's what I do all all day. Active record, trying to get things finished before HashiConf, which is the end of September. And uh, being you know, how are you, Javon? What are you working on? Today I am working on couch-based stuff. 
we have this app that caches stuff about devices, and they want us to cache more information. So today is my first dive into this app and um, creating an endpoint for people to post to and for them to get back the cache. Should be fun. Have you done any research into like the theory of caching? No, no. Do you want to expand on that? It seems like a very specific problem with a lot of research behind it. Although I guess it's pretty simple. You're, you know, just getting and setting things. But I guess like cache expiry is kind of complex. And I'm not implementing the caching strategy. Mm -hmm. I'm just adding to it. So I'm just adding in for more information. Well, I, I more so meant just uh, having academic background on the product that you're working on. Yeah. I was tried to stay away from caching because it seems really complex <laughs> and you can mess up uh, but I can't stay away from it at this job so eventually I'll do my research uh, I feel like we haven't talked the four of us in like a month I'm trying to think what happened in the past month we were on the changelog we were yeah. on the changelog so that'll, that'll come out week. yeah that should be coming out the day after this episode goes live this Friday the it's 11th it's September 11th yes yeah. that was a cool experience yeah very uh, professional, those guys. Yeah. Well, we shouldn't give away everything because they're going to be on, on here after, right? the week after. Have you been working on your talk, Pam? Uh, I will be. So I so the video from my streams talk is Nebraska JS Conf is up on YouTube now. Uh, and the convenient thing about that is that I know how long I took when I actually went to an actual conference and gave it. So it was thirty minutes there. And so I have about 10 minutes to, to play with if I want to use it uh, before Strange Loop. But the, the intimidating thing is that I'm apparently on the main stage at Strange Loop after Kathy Sierra. So. Nice. Yeah, that's a little terrifying. Um, also, I mean, of course, this is going to happen in Strange Loop, but the bummer of like who I'm up against in the slot. So I'm up against Camille Fournier and. Um, who else? Uh, David Brenner, whose talk is about the Chinese language that I really wanted to go to. But they're all recorded and posted like the same day. Not the same day, but yeah, I can it's watch like them on video. It's, just, it's not the same because it's, it's nice to go in person because then the whole point is that you can talk to people at the conference about the talk that you all just saw together. So Last year, Stranger was putting them up pretty fast. Yeah. I don't well, know if it was the next day. day. It might have been like, yeah. Is Camille talking about distributed systems? I mean, and Zookeeper. Yes. Okay. <laughs> I saw her at KeyCon. Uh, no, it's um. Well, I don't know. It could be the same talk. It's it's listed as no, one it's... weird trick to lose five bugs off your distributed system. Um, but yeah, so it's a distributed systems talk. In any case. Cool. Pam and I got tickets to Closure Conj. Yeah. Oh, awesome. I don't do any closure, but the fact that it's in Philly makes me want to go to it. You should yeah, go. You should go. So the tickets were what? They were like two two seventy five. That was the early, early bird. And then it's only like it's three fifty now. Um I mean think especially it, since you save so much by not having to do hotel. Mm -hmm. It's just I just thought it would be silly to pass it up. Or plane for that matter. Yeah. Think yeah, about no how much evangelizing you, train you can do. Evangelizing. You spread you could spread knowledge about Terraform and Atlas. And then you could be one of the closure conch people because you use Emacs now. I thought <laughs> you would I thought you were gonna make files. But Dude Java closure developers don't use make files. 
I don't know. They might after they talk to you. <laughs> actually, uh, Closure developer, actually on uh, Jervon's team, uh, Joe Winter made the Kata seed for Closure. And it was really cool because in the make, make file, uh, he has it download uh, Linogen, which is the uh, build and project tool. If yeah. you don't have it installed, it just downloads like an already ready to run mm-hmm. uh, jar executable. Yeah, executable. Yeah, it just it just grabs that and then it just goes. Like you don't need to install anything. It's like as long as you have Java, it will work. You don't even need closure. It's kind of cool. Justin, I predict. Yeah. Yeah, I predict you'll uh, be more interested in Lisp in a few days. <laughs> so, back in Philly yesterday, uh, I was working with Justin, showing him my uh, SpaceMax config, mm-hmm. and I think he started to see the light. But you've never written like a Lisp before, right? No. So, so you're you're like seeing the light for the first time. You're having like a religious experience. Oh, about <laughs> Lisp? I'm yeah. not sure. I have yet. Um, I don't. I mean, I don't know much Lisp. I know enough to write some simple functions to do some configuration things, but nothing even moderately complex. The cl- cliche about Lisp, though, right, is like that everybody like it's an amazing uh, like construct in language, like the idea that code and data are the same exact thing, and the syntax is so simple, like everything is a list, and then a function application is just a function with a list after it. Um, and then you can like use your editor to yeah Lisp is kind of awesome, but then nobody actually uses it in work except for Closure. Closure is like the one list that is taking off. Um, I'd be curious to know if closure adoption is still rising. I think closure script adoption is definitely rising, but I'm not sure I, what the numbers are in closure script or closure. So you don't think people use Racket? <laughs> I think somebody uses Racket. Racket may have more users than Haskell. <laughs> I don't know. I'm gonna look up language charts while, while we talk. Uh, did you read about space, uh, Facebook's uh, new spam algorithm? Written in Haskell? Yeah. I assume Justin would have been all over that. I, uh, Apparently a huge project at Facebook to write their spam filtering algorithm in, in Haskell. I've, uh, there, let me find the podcast. Um, I think it's the Haskell cast, um, but they had somebody from Facebook talk about that project on the podcast, and it was really interesting. The fact that, like, Facebook has things written mostly in, you know, PHP and a bunch of other languages. But um, just listening to them talk about, like, why why Haskell and why, why like, such a strongly typed language is so good for set protection. It, it almost makes it sound like they turned it into, like, a DSL. Like, you could describe a pattern very easily and then, and then use it to block uh, spam. Someone threw out that their compiler for PHP is written in Haskell, too. I was trying to find an article that says that, but are you done with Haskell, Justin? I haven't been playing with it recently. I have a project that I, like, I made the URL shortener in Haskell, and then I tried to upgrade it to the most recent version of GHC. And even without upgrading GHC, I cannot get it to compile from a known good um, Git commit from six months mm-hmm. ago. Uh, I'll, and that might be might be my fault maybe i didn't pin versions well enough and now i can't like find the magic mix of versions that work together um might be cabal's fault i don't know enough about people hating on cabal to know if what what's bad about it necessarily um but there's a new tool called stack which i've heard is much better and i tried to get it run on there too and i couldn't get it to run so i think haskell is cool but i don't see myself using it for anything in the near future Len, speaking of uh facebook technologies did you see uh i think it was called m the uh, personal assistant no, what's M? 
So uh, Facebook has their Messenger uh, application where it's just like a, a chat. So essentially you add this contact called M uh, for Messenger. I think it's M. I'll, I'll check though. Um, and then you give Facebook you know, information about like you, like more than they already have, I guess, but it's more private, like you know, your address and credit card information. And then you can say things like, you know, order me a pizza with pepperoni. And it uses uh, artificial intelligence to like find pizza places around you, place an order, build your card and have it shipped to your address. So it gives you like this natural language assistant that you can just ask for almost anything and it will take care of it. Do you think that sounds pro- terrifying? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, given given like series accuracy, I would be terrified as to what got billed to my card and what actually happened and what showed up in my house. Do you think they just have people in the background doing it though? I mean, you can use like mechanical mechanical Turk to do that, but I mean, machine. I mean, like language recognition is definitely to the point where if you ask it for a pizza and it knows where you live, it could probably order a pizza for you. Mm-hmm. You know. Or if you ask it to order you a product by name or something, I don't know. Um, I don't know what you would ask it for. There's more complex things like, I don't know, <laughs> draw me a painting. Uh, but it seems like the the future of, like there's like the app economy or the service economy and whatever the pros and cons are of that. But like the ne- next natural evolution of that seems like instead of going to an app um, and picking things exactly how you want them, uh, you just have one app or one system that knows what you want and maybe to begin you need to tell it what you want but maybe in the future maybe it's like automatic like maybe for instance i just use this new app called uh lux valet so i usually have problems parking in philadelphia because the garages are uh i've had problems where like the signs aren't correct and i pull into a garage and actually it's not open or it's only open for monthly members um it's happened a few times in center city uh, sometimes you pull into a garage and they don't have pricing information until you're already on the ramp and then you can't really back out because there's cars behind you. Uh, so it's kind of shady. If you're going to the same place every day, you can kind of find a parking place that you like, but it's still like not a great experience using a parking garage. Did you know hmm. that that's what they teach you in parking garage business school? <laughs> I believe it. Let um, them pull up first. Yeah. So there's this uh, app called uh, Lux Valet, L-U-X-E, and uh, you open the app and uh, tell it where you're going to be. And then you drive in the city and it uses your GPS on your phone. And when you get within like, I don't know, a half mile of your destination, it matches you to a valet driver and they meet you at your destination on the street and they just drive your car away. And then when you're ready to leave, you go on the app and request your car and it gives you like an ETA, like 15, 20 minutes till your car is ready. Uh, and then they bring your car up and then you just drive away in your car. And the uh, transactions all ha- happen through the app. You can tip in the app, the valet drivers. Um, it was pretty cool. But what I'm getting at is like the next evolution of that is I am driving downtown, you know, just do that for me. Don't, I shouldn't have to open an app and request it, which seems ridiculous. Also anything where you're driving and using your phone. Well, you're supposed to do it like before you leave and and then it uses the GPS in your phone to tell when you're close. Ah. I may have done mine in a stoplight. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So how do they I'm really glad we're solving really important problems. (laughs) How do they deal with garages that might be $20 or $10? Do they find you one that's in the price range? No, they don't. They probably have their own garages or they Uh, have a partner. Or they might have worked out a deal Deal. to rent a couple spots or something. Yeah, I'm sure they drive it like out of Center City to park it where they find a really cheap place in Center City. They throw in a tow truck. (laughs) There's another app called Parking Panda, which is kind of like, uh, 
know, like Apple Pay or something for parking. You say parking panda? Yeah. That's yes. The name of the app. So you just like you prepay for a parking spot at a garage, and then you drive up to the garage and they scan your phone, and then you just go in. Although the mascot looks like a red panda. It looks like a car. That's like a car panda. Abstract painting. Oh yeah, it is a car panda. <laughs> it looks like a Volkswagen Beetle panda. Of course. <laughs> As one does. I'm just more excited for a carless future. I think that's the problem we should solve is eliminating Having cars. cars at They're all. so terrible. Yeah. In general. Yeah. No, I don't think we should get no. Well, personal driving. So I Yeah, I would it should be like driverless to. cars. Well, but also that I mean, a lot of American infrastructure is built on trucks. And so like no matter how anti car you are, like we American infrastructure relies on trucks. Because you can't, like... There's not enough trains. You can't put a train station at every single warehouse. That as well. Yeah. So, like, even, like there's not enough trains in general. But uh, even then, yeah, you you know, if you want to build a building somewhere and that building is not right next to a train station, <laughs> you need trucks. Justin, did you see Diffie? Diffie? Yeah, the Twitter, uh, Twitter open source this uh tool that oh yeah yeah that's your uh, services yeah that seemed pretty neat your thrift or http based services yeah that seemed pretty cool do you want to explain what it is um do me explain i was hoping what it is. you did yeah <laughs> uh, so my understanding is uh you in a microservices architecture you are developing and deploying services which you're not sure are uh correct work correctly without like feeding them production data and you can like write as many tests as you want and try to like use fixtures and you know record requests or whatever but uh, really you just want to run it in production and see how it behaves so what they do is uh it i'm not sure what how it actually orchestrates all of this but essentially you have like your current production service and then another production service and then your your other service that's in like your, your new version that's in development or test or whatever or staging uh, and it will send requests to both uh, the production instances as well as your test development instance and will compare the differences between the, the responses and alert you if something has changed dramatically. And what it does is it uses two production instances to send traffic to, and that way it knows like things like timestamps or unique IDs. It knows what fields in the responses have changed between those two, and it ignores those keys when it's comparing it to your your uh, canary service, whatever, your new one. Uh, so that seemed pretty cool. So what is it? So there are three instances, right? At, the, least, at least, yeah. The one you want to deploy, the last known, and a copy of the last known? Yeah, like you're, you're assuming that you have at least two of a production server running that you know are good. So like, then, if, you, if you compare the production response to a test response, mm-hmm, how, do, be how, do you, how do you know like which fields to ignore? Like what, what changes, and you don't care if it changes, like timestamps, unique IDs. Okay. Um, so yeah, so it, it does that comparison, builds a list of what should not change, and then compares those fields in production to the new service you deployed, and then shows you what changed, if anything. Like, I, I don't know how the... the how you actually do this in your workflow. Um, you probably need to be Twitter size to actually get benefit from it, like cost benefit. But it seemed pretty cool. Maybe yeah. Comcast size, you could be Comcast size and get benefit from it. I thought you'd be stoked about the Thrift stuff. Oh, that's cool too. I guess uh, it being based in Thrift makes their uh, interfaces a little more well known. 
you don't need to write as much code to integrate it with the service because you already you already know it's thrift and you already know how they communicate and you already know what the schemas look like the structs apple just announced ipad pro and there's yeah. a picture of tim cook holding it and it's like as big as big as his chest <laughs> wait seriously yeah can we make fake apple announcements can Go we just need it. to think of ridiculous things and make terrible photoshops of them, such as that. Like, that could have easily been a terrible onion photoshop and then actually been, like, real life announced. I mean, this is actually nice for... The iPad Plus. <laughs> exactly. It's actually nice for, for people that use iPads for, like, you know, like, cash registers or, um, like, kiosk displays. It's probably a really good idea to make a larger iPad for those things. Yeah, I mean, that's kind of the iPad's problem right now. It's, like, too big to be with you all the time, but it's not really suited to do actual work in. So I think that's kind of the niche they're trying to solve here. Right now they're showing somebody making music on their <laughs> iPad Pro. It's 12.9 inches, which is essentially 13. I hope they have a new Air. The only thing I use my iPad for, actually, is a reading comic book. <laughs> it's essentially my comic book slash Kindle. I used to use it all the time for video calls when I was pairing full time remotely. Uh, but oh, that's a good setup because you just get like a little iPad stand. Yeah, yeah. I had one on my desk that was like I a, dig that. Yeah. An arm uh, and kept it out of the way. It looked really nice. And then my laptop would not be have its fans blaring when I was on a video call. iPad's really good at video. Yeah, a few episodes ago I did pick Duet too, which works pretty well. I think it's a little pricey for an iPad app, but it's only it's like fifteen or twenty dollars. I think it's like fifteen, <laughs> and it uh. If you have your charger cable, you can uh, use it as a secondary display, uh, and it works pretty well. There's a tiny bit of lag, so uh, you wouldn't want to do everything on it, but it's pretty good for like terminal application. So I usually put like my term there or something if I'm at a coffee shop and want a quick uh, secondary display. I would I would try that, but I have an iPad Mini, so the display is too small. Now, if my screen was 12.9 inches, maybe it would be a pretty good secondary monitor. Might as well just buy a 15-inch laptop. Or... No, don't do that. It's a terrible idea. Unless Why you never you know? travel. I travel a lot, and I would only have a 15-inch. No. <laughs> I'd rather be uncomfortable for, like, a few hours than have a weaker computer every day, all day. I want the smallest, tiniest computer I can do that will still get my work done. I mean, I would get the 17 if they still made them. Do you want one? 17? Yeah. No, I mean, I want a new 17, not an old 17. I, I heard that I'm, you want I'm more, my old 17. <laughs> I'm more curious about I operate the power. Under that, I operate under that assumption of, like, I just want the biggest computer, and then I now have a 17-inch. We used to use it as, like, our TV for a while before we got to TV. <laughs> so. Great laptop. Are you guys ready for picks? So I'm going to pick, there's the paper that I'm reading right now. I guess it's a paper. It's uh, how to quantify scalability, universal scalability law, the USL. Uh, what so, are those two things? Scalability versus? No, no, how to quantify scalability. And then oh. the thing that it's defining is the universal scalability law. Oh. Which is, so we talk about scalability and what does that even? And that is what this paper is about. And I'm reading it and uh, it's, it's been presented to me as a, as a reference of things. And there's, it's been, it's very, it's been updated very recently. So, uh, including stuff from 2015. So, reading that. Cool. So I'm going to copy my pick uh, from the changelog. And I guess saying that I'll back up and <laughs> do my first pick as being the changelog, which uh, will come out tomorrow. Uh, we were on, 
Uh, and then my second pick is livecoding.tv. Um, I got set up to stream on that, and I've only done it once because it, I did it like two days before I traveled. But uh, it was a good experience. I hopped on like midnight Pacific time, and I immediately got eight people watching me program in Elixir and Emacs, uh, a setup where I had no idea what I was doing. But it was uh, it was cool because I felt like I was pair programming. I was able to talk to myself, but I was you know uh, conversing with my stream, not just talking to myself. Uh, but it you know worked for the rubber ducky effect of letting me work out problems, and it also you know prevented me from being distracted because people are watching me, so I couldn't check my Twitter. Uh, so I think I'm gonna start doing that more often for my side projects slash learning experiments, just on live stream and. You know, not caring if I have two uh, watchers or twenty or whatever, um, just to kind of keep me focused. Um, I'll go next. Uh, speaking of the changelog, they have a newsletter called Changelog Nightly, which is essentially just the top trending repos on GitHub. Um, and I found one that was kind of interesting that I happened to find uh, when I was looking at it, which was totally simple web server, which uses uh, Netcat, which is a Unix utility for spitting out data to a socket. I always think Netcat is a lot cuter than it actually is. <laughs> it uses Netcat and um, a bunch of bash code to make a web server. And I tried to use it this morning and I couldn't get it to not like completely blow up when I tried it. Um, but I have faith that it probably works. So I'm going to keep trying it and I hope to write a, a URL shortener in it. Cool. Uh, I can go. Uh, my music pick is a song called Caught a Long Wind by Feist, and my programming pick is a tool called ngrok, uh, which sets up a tunnel so uh, things on the public internet could hit your local running application, um, so you can use webhooks and whatnot, uh, pointing to localhost. And it does a bunch of other stuff. Um, it also records your requests, and you can replay them so you don't have to request over and over. It's pretty handy. Those are my picks. Great. Follow us on Twitter at TuringCool. You can read the show notes for this episode and others at Turing.cool slash 63. And this is Justin doing this because Len already dropped off the call. And talk to you next week. All right, bye. Bye.